We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Some thoughts on the 2021 fantasy season that's what we're going to talk about today on stealing bananas my bad gretch you can find me on twitter at yards per gretch you can find my Substack at bangrush.substack.com with me as always is sean siegel find all of his great work out road of his sean we haven't really had enough time to process the 2021 season we are, are obviously going to be covering a lot of different topics and ideas and, and wanting to research things and really crystallize our thoughts. We were talking before the show and you mentioned something that I feel very similar about, which is that we haven't really had enough time necessarily for you to, to grasp all of your thoughts yet on, on why some of the things that we saw happen um, the same way. I mean, we, we need time to, to chew on this stuff. At the same time, it's fun right now to kind of be thinking about the season that was and what it means and, and what it will mean for the future and I mentioned to you for in my Substack last year, and I just pulled it up. It was actually on January fifth of twenty twenty one. It's uh, here we're recording on on Thursday, January sixth. So it's right at the same time last year that I, I wrote a piece titled "Some Thoughts on the twenty twenty fantasy season," and just you know mentioned in there that it was you know to think of it more as some a list of some thoughts than than strong takes, uh, and you know talked a little bit about the tight end position last year, the rookie dominance last year, some stuff with full season expectations, which you and I have talked a lot about dating back to, to July on, on bananas here and the concept of, you know, like projections versus player talent and, and the way that full season numbers are viewed relative to like pockets of production. And there's just a lot of things that we're, we're going to have a whole off season to discuss, but it'd be fun today to just talk through some, you know, some, some of the things that happened in 2021. Exactly. And, and as you mentioned, it'll be, Fun to kind of go through this, kind of set the stage for uh, so many of the hopefully evergreen shows that we have again in 2022 and see where we end up going. The last you know, two, three days have 
just felt like an absolute whirlwind. And it was a lot of fun to have Connor O'Driscoll on OT this week, uh, getting to sort of celebrate his big win with him. I mentioned Peter Overzet in my Zero RB Watch article this week, who finished, I mean, just I find this unbelievable, right? Finishes eighth as back-to-back top 10 finishes in a half PPR contest with a true full zero RB team. Uh, Pete, one of the best analysts and just on so many different things, but I'm excited to hear his thoughts on how you build that. I'd like to go over our Chasing Stolen Bananas team a little bit with him. So I'm hoping that he can be one of the, the first guests that we have in 2022 he obviously would be the perfect way to start that out. So looking forward to that. It's just kind of crazy to think of the last three weeks of the fantasy playoffs, some inconsistent performances, but absolutely huge performances when they happened. And we could really see the value of full teams. You know, there's there's always the discussion of, you know, zero RB versus modified zero RB versus running back heavy versus just, you know, pick whatever guy you want when you're on the clock. And people should know I'm a pretty big fan of just, you know, pick whatever guy you want. I mean, usually for me, it's wide receivers, and I think structurally that works. But, you know, you should be picking players that you think are going to score a lot of points and that you want to root for on Sunday. So that's, that's a big part of what we do as well, obviously. Uh, one of the neat things that you had mentioned to me, we had kind of talked on the show. I believe that the winner of the FFPC main event this year, the management group there, I mean, they won by like 50 plus points and had what, what I really believe is one of the all-time great teams. Now, we know that whoever wins the main event every year has a pretty crazy team. You look at some of these best ball championship teams, crazy teams, right? But just a, a fantastic team, and, and they were gracious enough to, to mention the show on one of their Twitter threads. And and we really appreciate that when, when people do that kind of thing. It, it is special to us. And obviously they don't they don't have to do those kinds of things. And so I appreciate that. You know, any help that we can give and and certainly those folks have a lot to teach everyone too, I think, in terms of how fantasy football works. You draft a team like that and I mean you've got bragging rights for a long, long, long time. And so uh, congrats to everybody who had a great season and also our hearts go out to people who maybe had a weird finish where you know they lost by a half a point or even say you lose by four or five points in the finals and maybe you made a 50 50 lineup decision that didn't work out for you those are always hard because you kind of feel like maybe you should have done it differently when the reality is any nfl sunday has so many different potential outcomes that's why we talk about range of outcomes both on individual games and for the full season all the time Perhaps you had somebody go down with an injury mid-game and they were right on the verge of, of getting you across the number you needed and then it didn't happen. That tough stuff is very hard. So, you know, we feel for all those people or we're rooting for all of you. It's been a lot of fun with the RV community. We mentioned a lot, but then uh, it kind of be fun here to go over some of the things that happened in, in 2021 and, and how we feel like that might be relevant. Kind of our very first initial thoughts, as you mentioned, about you know, how this will then play out for the, for the offseason. Yeah, it's uh, it's always fun to kind of think about the season. Um, you mentioned the the FFPC winning team being such an, a fantastic team. Uh, I actually have their draft board pulled up right now. The just for for anyone curious, it, their draft went Tyree Kill and Jonathan Taylor from the the one ten. So at the the first turn, took those two, and really interesting that those two were so good throughout the regular season and so instrumental on on teams being in 
the uh, you know being able to make the final shootout, but also weren't necessarily monsters in the in the final weeks. You know, Taylor still very very good, top ten running back. Definitely was very helpful to get those points. Tyreek Hill, I believe, finished just outside the top ten receivers. Was was you know had a couple down weeks as well during that stretch, but had the big week fifteen. But then Cooper Cup, Mark Andrews, Jamar Chase, Javante Williams, Debo um, actually took Russell Wilson and Ronald Jones, Michael Pittman, but wound up with Burrow on the team. So must have got Burrow off waivers because Wilson and Roethlisberger were the drafted quarterbacks. But winds up with a, a wide receiver hit rate early on. Just I mean, you have Tyreek, Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, and Debo, and you have Burrow, and you have Taylor and Javante as your running backs. Just a and then Mark Andrews in there as well. Just a fantastic build and and team, such a fun team. And also you know, with guys like Michael Pittman that were, you know, I'm sure additional key pieces throughout the season. Need those guys for the bye weeks, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also kind of funny that they drafted Rashad Penny, and you know, a lot of people who drafted Rashad Penny had to move on at one point. I didn't see Penny on the raw the final roster, and so that's you know just sort of a, a humorous side note where. They went on to win the entire thing without a player that they drafted that was one of the top scoring running backs in the final three weeks. Yeah, I mean it was a it was a funny season. I mean, I, I think the the big takeaway, you know, we talk about league winners, we talk about playoff upside and all that. We, you and I, spent a lot of time talking about the Bengals. Certainly, in any of these major tournaments, having Burrow, having Chase or even Higgins, if it was a three-week shootout. Um, Higgins obviously didn't have the huge week 17, but in in 15 and 16 was big. That that played out very positively. Mark Andrews was a huge piece. His three-week stretch at tight end, really dominant, really cleared the other tight ends. I think Kelsey would have had a shot to, to compete with his massive week 15, but then obviously missed week 16, didn't have a big week 17, and so – Basically, all of his playoff points came in week 15. Uh, he did score in week 17, but only had five catches for 25 yards in that final game. But yeah, Andrews was like a really, really key one. Obviously, Jamar Chase with his monster, monster week 17 was a key one for championship week. Cooper Cup continued to produce throughout. But there was also a lot of you know interesting names. I mean, you look at wide receiver, Almond Ross St. Brown was very very good over those final three weeks. Devonta Adams was was good at the top of drafts. Um, I'm just sort of looking at the the leaderboard over the the, the final few weeks. But Amon Ra, I think, was the highest scoring receiver in PPR over the final three weeks. Was just massive. And he was in our lineup once. Yeah. For that stretch. So so. so. <laughs> and then you look at running back and. You know, I saw a tweet somewhere that mentioned – I'm seeing David Montgomery on the list I'm looking at as leading, but that mentioned Penny, Singletary, and Damian Harris as among the top scorers. Maybe it was a different um, scoring format, or maybe it was points per game because Harris did miss a game in that stretch. But you had – some of the top scoring running backs were, you know, were not drafted in the in the early rounds, which was really interesting as well from the, you know, the concept of zero RB and a lot of those discussions – we didn't have, you know, Taylor was very good, but not the way that he had played for most of the season. Joe Mixon was very good in, over the last stretch. Najee Harris had the big week 17. Nick Chubb was solid. I mean, 
you look at their points per game over this stretch, and none of those guys were at 20 points per game. None of the running backs at all were at 20 points per game. And that's why we, you know, we saw some of these zero RB teams do so well. You mentioned Pete's uh, half PPR zero RB team. It did have Damian Harris and Rashad Penny. And, and then, you know, Devin Singletary, we've talked about. Uh, there, it, it was a, a very interesting playoff shootout those weeks. It was an interesting season for, for the top-end running backs. It was. And as you kind of mentioned here, we don't get the high scores from the running backs that we're used to. Your guy, Justin Jackson, based on the one big game in there for so many of the guys, you, you needed to have them in the lineup during that game to really make the difference for you. Taylor solid. Uh, Najee Harris comes in there with a good score. But again, that's all on that last game. And so the playoffs provided a lot of different pathways this season with the main pathway obviously coming through Mark Andrews, right? A guy you absolutely had to have to be competitive. And we did see a few teams that that didn't have Andrews. It was interesting and cool to see that Pete's team actually didn't have Andrews, but that powerful tight end, it just is the difference maker. It's, it, I think this is interesting because when we recorded three or four weeks ago, I was saying that the injury to Waller and the midseason injury to Kittle was going to create an environment where these top tight ends were not as expensive next year, that it was going to be a little bit of a one-year blip because obviously the playoff performances over the last couple of years had an article recently talking about that, how so many of the top performances had come from Kelsey and then Waller and Kittle in the playoffs in the last several seasons. And the playoffs obviously are big, right, in terms of how people view what they want to do. The big running back scores in the playoffs that we've traditionally seen where a running back will have this stretch of two, three weeks and hits and it's really hot. Uh, that is really what people are chasing when they say they want a running back in the first round. Now, for so long, I think it came down to projections. And I know that projections still factor in, in a big way. It was one of the themes for our shows. We'll have a ton of more content on that later in the offseason. But I think that even though it may not always get the emphasis, I think it's actually chasing these playoff performances that still dictate or create the environment in which everybody is trying to get their legendary running back in those first two rounds. One of the things kind of interesting to me too, in that it did kind of relate to what we talked about this off season and how you might want to construct teams. If you did want to get a running back in there, that round two might be a place for you. It just, it was really pretty hard to fathom, right? That we have these teams with Jonathan Taylor in the second round. You and I had one of our main events with Taylor in the second round after we had taken a receiver. You just mentioned the winning team had Taylor in the second round. Uh, the best ball team that Colin Blair and I had was a Adams Taylor team at the turn to be able to get him there. Absolutely crazy. The other player who actually had a great workload during the season and then had that, you know, very good final game to push him up as the, one of the only early drafted running backs to actually score in the playoffs. If you want to look at that total, Najee Harris, also someone who is in that really probably first five or six picks in the second round in most drafts. And so drafters had the chance to go with an Adams, with a Hill, with a Diggs, and then come back with that guy. Diggs, still a very solid season, obviously was not a league winner this year, but it'll be interesting to see kind of how ADP develops. One of the sort of Christmas presents that we all get as, as fantasy fanatics is when we have these first drafts and see how ADP starts to form. And that's important because 
people are going to anchor to those early ADPs. And then everything that happens off of that is going to be a shift off of that early perception of where you know, players should have gone. But it'll be interesting to see how this builds out to start. You know, if we're going to have another season in which round two might be where people are looking to get some of that running back upside. Yeah. And, it, you know, in draft season, a big thing we talked about at running back was that, you know, you had Christian McCaffrey at the top and Kamara and Cook pretty, pretty clearly locked into the two, three spots. And, and Derek Henry, I think, factored into that discussion for a lot of people. Zeke did at times for other people. But that really, you, I think you could have made the case that starting at basically 102, it was really pretty flat at running back through about running back 15. And there was a lot of upside into the, uh, you know, two, three turn. Uh, that's where like, you know, Joe Mixon was going. Clyde Edwards at Lair was someone that was getting mixed in there. Obviously in between there, you had Aaron Jones and Saquon and Taylor and Eckler and Najee Harris and Antonio Gibson Chubb. I'm just looking at a draft board now, rattling off some of those names, basically all those backs before you got to like Chris Carson, um, and Swift at, at a point was up in, in that group. And at the draft I'm looking at, he was in the fourth round. It was kind of dependent on the the room, whether Swift made it up in, in you know, ahead of Chris Carson and, and uh, James Robinson and some of those guys, but that, that top 15 or so, and, you know, JK Dobbins could have been thrown in there earlier in the draft season. Obviously he got injured in the preseason. There were a lot of names and it, it did feel very, it felt flat, and part of the reason we were interested in that second round running back was because it felt flat, but it also felt somewhat unlikely that this would be a year where, as we sit here now, the top scoring running backs in the in the playoffs would be none of those guys, to be you know quite frank. I mean, I, you can certainly, you know, we mentioned a couple of them. You can certainly make the, the cases for them. Eckler had a couple of good games as well and missed one, so from a points-per-game perspective, he looked good. But really, I mean – of those names, not not the legendary upside, you know, and, and not the huge seasons for a variety of reasons. Derrick Henry looked like he was on his way to one. He gets hurt. Christian McCaffrey obviously has the injuries. You know, Taylor has the closest thing, I think, to a full legendary season or Eckler, I, I guess, maybe mixes in. But Taylor, down the stretch, we talked about on our last show, didn't get the receiving, didn't have quite the same upside, same profile in the, the playoff weeks, which – didn't, I don't think, kill a lot of people. I think a lot of Taylor teams still went on to win their championships, but um, it did make it tough if you were relying kind of solely on Taylor and needed basically that one running back to be your team. You probably didn't win your league then because he didn't he didn't have the the 25-plus point games, you know, across all the playoff weeks that we see from running backs sometimes. It was an interesting year from that perspective. We also, you know, had some – the, the, the early receivers as well, we didn't necessarily have as much ceiling. Tyree Kill, very similar to Taylor. We've mentioned that already. Devontae Adams had a great end of the year. But several receivers in those first couple of rounds didn't hit expectations. You mentioned Diggs. Obviously, DeAndre Hopkins, Calvin Ridley, un unfortunately, for off-season off or off-the-field reasons. Uh, we didn't get a chance to see him play a ton this year. Metcalf, you know, you can go through the, the second round. and A lot of those guys didn't hit expectations. Maybe the most disappointing uh, wide receiver for me is C.D. Lamb. I mean, not a bad season, but so much left on the table in terms of of where were the targets and key moments when the Cowboys seemingly just didn't have a great sense of what they really wanted to do. You mentioned before the show to me, like sort of needing some time to figure out what happened there. <laughs> and I feel the same exact way. I mean, I think it's perfectly put. 
uh, we're going to need to, 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 to debrief Lamb for longer than just a week. But fascinating year, right? Because the, those first couple rounds, not a ton of like clear. You had to have them guys. Most of the you had to have them guys were in the fourth, fifth, sixth round. We talked about Andrews. You know, Jamar Chase was great throughout the early part of the season, helped teams get off to a big start. And a lot of teams made the playoffs in part because they took Jamar Chase in the middle rounds. He didn't have a great stretch in the middle of the year, but then closes, obviously. If you made it to the championship with Jamar Chase, you won almost, you know, certainly, uh, especially in head-to-head formats. He was just so, so good. And in the larger formats, you, you know, the the best ball stuff, and, you know, it was one of those that you really kind of needed to have. It was why it was so amazing that you guys almost overcame a Jamar Chase team in the FFPC best ball finals. But yeah, just a, a really fascinating Cooper Cup. I haven't mentioned either, but in in the in the fourth round, just being the clear top player in fantasy the entire year throughout, just so consistently good. I mean, very similar to Michael Thomas's dominant seasons, where just every year you could bank on so many receptions, the touchdowns, just everything. We're we're so so good from him. Do you think he's an option at one hundred one this year? I I think he's definitely needs to be in the discussion, right? Uh, I don't know. He's another one that I need to sit with, I think, and really look at and consider what I think will happen. I don't know. What do you think? I'm I'm moving more in the direction of thinking that his production is something that, I mean, obviously we want to take seriously anybody who has this type of a year, but I mean, he's not going to have that type of season in 2022 but even once you come well down off of that he's going to have the type of season that just creates such a perfect combination of floor and ceiling for your team it's such a great uh, way to get started I, mean, I think that it can get lost sometimes that some of these receivers you know like atari kill for example just how well that gets your team started to Devonte adams it lets you do so many different things you mentioned taylor and eckler and it's a situation where these two guys outside of Derrick Henry, who obviously didn't play, but half the season, you know, they finish. Taylor is just under 23 points per game. Eckler at 21.4. And those are, are good scores. I mean, those are scores that you want in your lineup. If you draft those guys in the first round and they produce that, you're not necessarily disappointed. But they also both hit at 4.3 fantasy points over expectation, right? And so a lot of what... I was talking about both in terms of the Taylor article and why I felt like 2021 is going to kind of revolve around him. It's something where I'm actually a little bit disappointed in the workload that he got, because I did think it was going to be more than that. I did think he was going to be more involved as a receiver. It was unfortunate that he did basically sideline Hines, which was something that I think not necessarily should have been expected, but it was definitely one of the main scenarios that could happen, not just like this niche or very like, you know, one, 2% kind of scenario. The fact that he would be so good that Heinz wasn't really involved in the game plan, I think was very likely outcome in 2021. But the fact that all that really meant was that Taylor would get more of these low value touches. And, you know, you and I kind of joked about this idea that when you, you know, you're 225 and run a 4 3 40 and have great feet and great vision, there's no such thing as a low value touch. But definitely you get more points in these fantasy formats if some of those touches are receptions. So to not see him get there. And then the concern with Eckler again, too, was just that he doesn't really have the legendary upside. I mean, he 
did what people I think could hope for him as as the best case scenario, and that he does go in and scores a bunch of touchdowns, which yeah, was that was the TVs. element that needed to be added, right? He maintains a very healthy receiving load, and then he blows up in terms of fantasy points over expectation, with the, which again for him and Taylor and you know a Christian McCaffrey, maybe not as much for Cook and Kamara based on the offense for for Kamara and what Cooks asked to do, but there are some specific guys that is very reasonable based on their talent and their usage in the offense, you know, how good their offense is, the other things that people have to deal with in the offense, that they're going to outscore expectation by somewhere between three and five points. And kind of when I was framing it, obviously our buddy Patrick Corrine had just so much tremendous research on that topic this season. I like to look at it as, you know, you need to have the rush EP, you need to have the receiving EP, and then you need to have a guy that you think could hit on a season where they actually outperform the overall workload by a pretty decent number. That's how you're going to get up into the 26, 27, 28 range to where nobody else can compete with them. And it's kind of like a, a bittersweet or a good news, bad news kind of thing for Taylor and Eckler that they were so good. And they definitely were the league winners because there weren't other guys who outperformed them. But at the same time, they didn't do for you what backs have done for teams in the past. Right, and and we're talking about them in the ways that we are, in, in part because there wasn't the 25-point-per-game season. Like, just imagine a scenario where Christian McCaffrey stays healthy and goes on and averages 26, 27 points per game. Taylor and Eckler still are great pieces to have all year, but the, the whole conversation is very different. I mean, you can go back to um, 2019 where he played the full season. He averaged 29 PPR points per game. Uh, 2020 – we got just over 25 from Kamara. We got 24, just over 24 from Cook. Uh, you go all the way back to like 2018. Todd Gurley had a 26-point season. 2017, uh, Todd Gurley just under 26 points. And then, you know, 2016, uh, you had David Johnson at 25.7. Le'Veon Bell at 26.5. Only played 12 games that year. And you got to go all the way back to 2015 before you get to another season like 2021 where nobody hit what, what, 24. I, I, I don't know what the exact benchmark is, but this is the lowest point per game ceiling for the RB1 since 2015, which was a year where, you know, Devontae Freeman was the top back at 21.4. It was a much different year in terms of, you know, what the, the, the elite running backs really provided you. And this year was somewhat similar to that. Taylor provided you a ton, but uh, as you kind of laid out, didn't get to the 25. Eckler gets to, you know, 21 range with all, I mean, both and both of them, largely it's it's not only touchdowns, but a, a big part of it was just, you know, Taylor scores 20 TDs, Eckler scores 18. That was the upside case for Eckler. For Taylor, you know, the upside case, I think, like you said, could have included more receiving. He's only barely ahead of last year's receiving numbers which is, you know, he was pacing to definitely crush that. These last four weeks, uh, catching, what is it, one pass over the last four games is, you know, certainly wasn't great for the way that his, you know, full season numbers look or his full profile ended up looking. It's not, it didn't seem likely that that would happen. Up to that point, he caught at least one pass in every game and multiple passes in in more than half of them. And, and he has um, just the one in, in four games combined. 
his workload in the in the green zone was massive. It was very Den- Derrick Henry esque, where you know people have talked about the touches. I think it's like most people are looking at red zone numbers, but if you look at red zone touches or red zone carries that Taylor so lapped every other running back in that stat, uh, he had like almost double any other running back in the league. That helped him obviously to the twenty scores and his efficiencies, long touchdown runs, all of those things were were just massive and fantastic. Loved having him in in so many leagues where we had him. But it is a little bit worrisome. You have to be honest and 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 concerned, I think, at least a little bit in terms of the fact that, you know, he looks like he's going to be the clear one-on-one next year. From a talent perspective, he's somebody that I'm going to still be very interested in. This is why I've been making the Adrian – I've seen a lot of comparisons. I, I've been calling him Adrian Peterson since basically the first month or, or a couple months. It reminds me so much of the, of the early years of Adrian Peterson – you are relying a lot on efficiency, but also from a physical standpoint, he just so clearly has all the tools that I think we can continue to expect that. But, you know, that was a different era. But Peterson was the one-on-one for, for multiple seasons in a row in that era. Th- this is an era where the pass catching can get so massive for, for running backs. I mean, like, there's just, I, you know, we, we talked to, you alluded a little bit on the last show about me having some concerns still about Taylor at one-on-one. I, I there's no question that Christian McCaffrey has a massively higher ceiling if he stays healthy next year. Well, there's a multi-year stretch in there where Adrian Peterson was at his absolute peak where he was outscored in fantasy by Ray Rice. I mean, that's like as, as well put as you can as you can put it. Um, and yet Peterson was, if you were playing back then and you recall, like was the one-on-one basically, uh, maybe not every year, but he was a top three pick for, for three, four, five-year stretch. Maybe maybe it's only like three years. I can't really recall. But definitely was right there in the discussion for one-on-one over multiple years. But you, you know, already had some concerns about like how high can his ceiling get without the receiving. And every year the, the reports were that he was going to catch more passes this year and it just never really materialized. I think there's still hope for that with Taylor. I mean, he's so good in the passing game. I think there's still reason to be hopeful um, a lot of what happened with the team, like you said, he, he sidelined Hines, but then the team was just like, we're going to run every play, <laughs> right? I mean, very similar to Derrick Henry in that regard. If the team has a different pass balance in future seasons, you can, I still think Taylor, I don't think Taylor's destined to have the career Adrian Peterson had in that regard. I think he still has the 50 catch, 60 catch upside and, and type of season in him and is very much still right there in the discussion for one-on-one. I'm not saying I'm going to be fading him or anything, but definitely a different year at the top for running backs. And I think, I mean, one of the, one of the main points, I, I don't know how much we want to get into zero RB on this show, but one of them, there's been a big discussion on Twitter and, and places about zero RB. So many successful zero RB teams in a lot of these major tournaments, you know, the, the zero RB detractors like to point out that like it didn't, there wasn't like a strictly zero RB team that won any of the major ones. My my stance and the thing that I would just want to say and, and very firmly is that I think it's just completely unquestioned at this point that the upside that zero RB has that it very easily could have won these tournaments. We've we've emphasized in the past it's a sample size issue. There's not as many zero RB teams. Um, even we weren't drafting zero RB in every single one of our drafts. No one is saying to do that everywhere across the board because this season could have played out differently with injuries and things where you needed some of these early running backs and there were so many of them that we have had our exposure to them. Obviously um, we had a bunch of Taylor. We talk about him a lot and, and, and other guys, but it's just unquestionable the way that the season played out with the top scores in the playoff weeks being largely late round picks 
um, seeing the success of some of the zero RB teams in, in the major tournament, you mentioned Pete, um, your guys' FFPC team did have Taylor, but got a lot of zero RB production. Rashad Penny was on that roster. It didn't play out in a way where like you had to have zero RB because we didn't have like monster, monster ceilings out of like the, the early receivers or anything like that. I think there were paths to that. I mean, especially after like week 15, we saw Kelsey go absolutely nuclear. If it doesn't play out where Mark Andrews is the is the tight end you wanted, and instead Kelsey, instead of missing week 16, goes on to be the tight end that you needed. I think in some of these contests where, you know, especially in FFPC, he was a first-round pick, you probably would have been seeing Kelsey builds at the top. It was kind of funny because uh, when Jamar Chase was going off on Sunday and our hopes of the 100,000 were fading, uh, Colin was actually messaging me saying that our Travis Kelsey uh, – FFPC team was going to like get in the top five in the toilet bowl. He, he was, he had kind of moved his uh, enthusiasm to uh, some consolation. tournament, that That's gonna, funny. Which I thought that was kind of amusing. It was the, the pure zero RB team that people really mocked on Twitter, where we drafted Kelsey in the first round and then like eight consecutive wide receivers turned out to be quite a good team, Ben. Yeah. But so, uh, in, in fun. Yeah. You're saying it was in the, it was in the toilet bowl. Cause it didn't, advanced but yet scored so many points in an even wider field in the toilet bowl that it, it had a chance to finish what did it end up finishing did it finish top five i don't the second wave the couple players we had in there didn't score so i think it fell back out but we were up to, to eighth i think at one point so that was that was kind of amusing as it played out one of the things too here i just always want to emphasize is that i personally don't care how people draft i'm not pushing people to draft in any particular way other than the way they like the best and we're trying to give people options and ideas and help people improve within what they do. And so, you know, if you're someone who wants to start with three consecutive running backs, the things that we'd love for you to take from our show are how you can do that better. Not that, you know, you somehow have to draft like us, but it's fun to look through all these different things. Uh, and it was cool to have a lot of these guys who were on the zero RB candidates list really blow up down the stretch it makes you feel like you were kind of on some of the the right ideas even though it took a while for them to get there speaking of things ben that could have happened but didn't i have a sort of a what if that i want to ask you about that has popped into mind here as we've been discussing these running backs at the top colin kelly here the executive producer of the road of his radio podcast network and co-host of the road of his overtime podcast along with the phenomenal sean siegel the wait is over, the NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Rotoviz NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, and everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Or go to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So we look at Taylor's score, we look at Eckler's score. One of the things that, that, that I had kind of glossed over there that I do think that could have played out a little bit is if he had been a little bit healthier. Now, we know that one of the reasons why it's hard to draft running backs early and feel confident in those points is just that these top guys are exposed to so many hits. So the idea that your guy is going to stay completely healthy, you know, maybe not realistic. There were some nagging injuries. Eckler had at some critical moments to maybe if he does stay as healthy as Taylor. And Taylor actually banged up at a couple different points and he was wanting to point out you were mentioning to me i thought it was really cool jonathan taylor a very easy guy to root for because seemingly one of the very top character guys as well you know he was noting that he had missed practice back to high school or, or something to that effect he's a guy who does go out there and play if eckler had been purely healthy a couple of these games he would have put up some more points he would have been in that range that again i think is gonna i mean already he's in the top five discussion I think he's going to be justifiably in that discussion throughout the offseason. If you put up a few more points, you know, maybe he's up there with some of the guys in the 102, 103 range. But we look back on this season and we see how good Daryl Henderson was throughout the vast majority of it. We see what Sony Michelle did during the fantasy playoffs. People who drafted Cam Akers have to feel absolutely sick right? Because there's a very real chance he would have finished as the RB1. Is, is that is that reasonable, do you think? I mean, we, we think about some of these guys, it's easy to forget about people who, it's easy to remember Derrick Henry, obviously, because he was having a huge season and was going to be the RB1. And, you know, sort of crushing for people who drafted him to see him really elevate even from the crazy levels of the past, and then lose that because of when it happened, you know, we tend to forget a little bit more about Acres, and you know, you had mentioned J.K. Dobbins. I don't think that he would have been in the mix, you know, to be a top three or four back. But even with 
the Ravens going so pass heavy. And part of that is because they lost him, obviously. But this was a, a Ravens team that could really score. You wouldn't have been surprised if J.K. Dobbins led the NFL in highlight runs. And then when you think about the Jaguars offense, it was so incredibly bad that it doesn't seem like a great fit for creating fantasy points for anybody. At the same time, given how badly the receivers played, right, we have this potential scenario where Travis Etienne might have led the running back position in receptions and perhaps gapped the field. And so you have some of these guys who didn't play at all who, you know, this season could be very different if Taylor gets hurt and those guys stay healthy. Yeah, ETN, as you said, the way that you did, just immediately DeAndre Swift pops to mind. Had, you know, Swift, Swift had, didn't stay healthy throughout, but had so many receptions in a sort of a similar situation to what you just described. It could have been um, similar. And that was actually a comparison, I think, that was made a little bit with Bevel being there in, in Jacksonville. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think Akers is a really interesting, really interesting one from the perspective of you know, I, I I've talked in some spots. I don't know if we've talked about bananas yet, but the Ravens going so pass heavy and me not being on Andrews as much as I should have been to me is just turning me even further away from team expectations, team projections. One of the very few things that I was willing to sort of take a stand on was that the Ravens have sort of a ceiling on their pass rate from a season long perspective, from a draft perspective. And so I, you know, I was fine taking some Marquise Brown, but I, I wasn't as excited about Andrews at his price. And yet, I mean, I think we saw, I mean, there's multiple ways to, to comment on this. I think we saw something that is sort of due to regress for the, for the Ravens in terms of a pass rate, but I was just completely wrong on that as well. And, and that was so massive for what Andrew, we already knew Andrews had so much target per outrun potential, target earning potential, if the team could actually throw at a, at a high clip, and they did. A lot of that was due to the massive number of running back injuries and other things. Even Jackson missing time and Huntley and 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 even um, Josh Johnson are guys that are mobile, but they're not Lamar Jackson in terms of like scramble rate and everything. I mean, Lamar Jackson is just completely different in terms of, you know, what the, the pass attempts. He's just such a good runner. He's just so, so good. It's not just a mobile quarterback. He's just like an elite runner. But anyway, that the way that that played out was very, very interesting. I say that because you bring up Acres and it's pulling me back to at least being somewhat considerate of the team stuff in the sense that, you know, I, I felt very strongly about the Rams running backs overall because we have seen from McVeigh with consistency that he's willing to lean on different guys and but sort of have a guy that he's very willing to call plays in, in a way that features running backs in the red zone you go back to the girly years and all of that was very clear girly huge touchdown rates huge snap shares but also like when Gurley got banged up that one year and CJ Anderson had the stretch going into the postseason you know, Malcolm Brown has had high touchdown rates. We saw it with Acres late last year. And then this year we saw it with Henderson. And then we saw it with Michelle as, as Michelle took over this same concept of like, they like to lean on one back. And those guys have the, really a, the potential for some massive high value touch numbers, especially the touchdown numbers, just based on sort of the way they like to call things in close. Even in a year where, you know, Cooper Cup has been smashing the, the Rams running backs, both of them have been very good. I think you're right on. If Acres stays healthy and plays the whole year, from a team perspective, the way that the Rams played and how concentrated they can be could have been just an absolute 
massive spot for acres. You keep talking about um, the, the expected point totals and then still being efficient over that. He would have had to have been efficient, but the expected point totals could have been massive. The amount of touches in near the end zone could have been massive. The way they used him into the postseason last year and the way that they were looking like they were going to use him as, a, as an overall workhorse all year this year, um, we would have expected close to 20 expected points, right? Would the receiving have been good enough, do you think? Perhaps not, but – and – and I don't think that Akers would have been, you know, the RB1 in one of these seasons where we get a true legendary 25 plus back. But I mean, he would have been right there with Taylor and Eckler. It would have been hard for someone of that talent level within the context of this offense for the exact reasons that you mentioned. You know, I like Henderson, had a pretty decent amount of Henderson. We went through the reasons why Michelle needed to be part of your draft plan thought that he was pretty good, but even if you were skeptical of his talent level, he needed to be part of your draft plan, especially before he got expensive. But there's no question, I don't think. I mean, Akers may not be the absolute superstar that some people thought he was before the injury, and it's great to hear. I mean, the practice reports from this week, supposedly he looks fantastic. You know, it's so close to the injury still that – you know, we'll see, but I'm very hopeful for him. When you when players go down with the Achilles, you just you worry that they're never going to be the same. And so it'd be so cool if he comes all the way back. I mean, Akers has the talent level to have been just an absolute force in that offense. Yeah, definitely. Another one that got hurt that you didn't mention, and maybe we weren't as on. I, I wasn't as on, but I think what I had a great year, and it's been a popular one for this sort of what if discussion. Uh, I've seen this mentioned on Twitter quite a few times, but. Raheem Mostert, I think, pretty clearly. You look at what Elijah Mitchell did and the the fact that Sermon never really caught on the other injuries in the backfield. Mitchell maybe would have ultimately made an impact, but I think if Mostert somehow has a healthy season, I mean, he's not going to be a high-value touch guy, but I think it was pointing towards a year where he would have probably got a lot of work for the 49ers. They basically continued to to use Mitchell in a way that was like, we want our, our Mostert player in our offense you know they I, I think a lot of people thought they drafted him in the sixth round to sort of be a a backup directly to what Mostert brings to them so he's a, another guy that if you took him and you look at back at it i think that guy could have had a really good year as well not not this legendary type of ceiling at all uh but but probably a very efficient year because he's been an efficient back when healthy and you look at some guys and some contests in which that would have made a difference. Obviously, Connor didn't end up needing it because he won, but he had Mostert. And then you look at Pete's team that finished eighth, also had Mostert. So some very sharp guys on him as a play. Yeah. I mean, Pete's team, the zero RB team had Mostert. I mean, that could have been uh, the difference. Um, I think, yeah, I, I don't necessarily want to circle back to this, but I got off on a tangent. I just, I, I guess I do. I, I want to sort of finish off saying the sample size issue of not enough zero RB teams necessarily being in these tournaments, but that I think it's very unquestioned that zero RB, it was, it was a great year for zero RB. Um, we saw a lot of success, but also there were some little elements with some of the best late round running backs, even some that we weren't necessarily as on uh, Leonard Fournette, Cordero Patterson didn't produce a ton. James Connor got hurt and didn't produce a ton in the playoff weeks. So a lot of the zero RB teams that did advance were, you know, reliant on running backs that weren't ultimately the ones that that were the the huge winners, the the Rashad Penny and and Damon Harris's. But the way that I would structure structure the comment on that again is just to say that like you could have had 
if there were more zero RB teams drafted, there would have been zero RB teams that had everything else right. And because the, the stuff you needed to have right was largely in those middle rounds. The first couple rounds didn't ultimately really decide anything. We were talking about the FFPC champion being a, a Hill Taylor team. That could have been, um, you know, Taylor obviously was massive to that team, but it's hard. It's hard to, to articulate it. But basically, I just don't even want to have the discussion anymore about whether zero RB is viable. Um, it continues to come up, but it is very clear. And I'm excited for an off season with you of talking about um, sort of next level stuff where we don't have to keep having that discussion and, and relitigating it. Cause I think anyone with any level of uh, willingness to, to, to consider what actually happened, what could have happened, the, the sample size of the different types of teams that are built. Um, if you want to be very strict about the definition of zero RB, there were not enough very strict zero RB teams to get a, a legitimate feel on, you know, whether or not, the outcome that no extremely strict zero RB team won, that, that doesn't tell us anything. I think from a theory perspective, it's, it's not questionable. And, and anyway, I'm sort of done, done having it being questioned. Well, one of the things you can go and do is just check out some of the results in the Rotoviz best ball roster construction explorers and see how well, the zero RB teams do and how well they did even in some years that people tend to think of as being running back heavy. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think it's a question. I don't think it's a debate that moves things along terribly, but the main takeaway that I had, and you never want anybody to get hurt. And, and that goes for running backs in the first rounds. And we're not hoping to benefit from injuries. We're knowing that it's going to be hard for those guys to, to play all season. It's going to be the same thing for someone who emerges like a Leonard Fournette and gets that kind of workload. It's going to be similar for someone like a James Conner who comes through and does some of the things that he has done. I mean, Conner, one of the reasons why uh, his career has gone the direction that it did is because of injuries, right? I mean, he looked at one point like he was going to be an absolute star and it didn't work out for him because he couldn't stay healthy. And now he doesn't have the breakaway ability that maybe even makes him someone who should be a full-time back as opposed to a committee guy. I mean, for, for Arizona, it's got to be a little bit frustrating for them. that They, after the hot start, haven't been able to keep those two guys healthy at the same times. But if we had seen a season where these two massive forces don't get hurt and miss 15 and 16, then it, it's going to change the way a lot of people draft. It's going to change some of the ADP and, and that doesn't help us. So there's an element of good luck to it. If you, if you're a, a zero RB drafter or a modified zero RB drafter, you'd like to draft in some of these ways it's almost like you dodged a real bullet in that the season could have played out in a way that made it more difficult for you to execute your tactics, to execute your overall strategy and have these dominant teams year in and year out. Obviously from some of the things you're seeing, I'm a little more insulated from some of those debates, but I think that the fact that that stuff is out there is, is great for us and is going to keep some of the suboptimal approach to fantasy out there, which is helpful. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's fun to, to go into it and again, it, you know, we, we're not pushing people to draft in anything other than the way they're comfortable with. And if they want to experiment with some of these things that are more aggressive, they definitely can. If they just want to tweak their approach a little bit, one of the things that I thought was really cool, you mentioned to me before the show that you were getting a lot of notes uh, in your discord talking about, you had asked, you know, how are some of the teams done and, and you're getting the messages about, you know, one this and one that, and, you know, it, there can be a tendency to mention, and obviously 
you know, when you're personally involved in, in a big contest and you're doing well, that's very exciting. But the main thing that we want to do is to create an environment where our listeners are winning the leagues that matter to them, right? So we want you to be winning your home league and we want you to be winning, you know, these three or four other big leagues that you do with your coworkers and taking home those four and $500 pots and that type of thing and being able to go into work, you know, the day after the championship and, you know, not rub it in people's faces, but have your shoulders thrown back and, and feel good and, you know, have the, the gracious uh, accepting the congratulations, that kind of thing. So, you know, and, and I think that th those types of elements work in, in that direction. But one of the things that you mentioned to me that I thought was really cool is that you had a lot of people mention uh, anti-fragile drafting to you. You had a lot of people mention uh, looking at asymmetric outcomes and how you can draft to make sure that that is benefiting you as opposed to working against you. And having those kinds of notes after a whole season of stealing signals and after a whole season of stealing bananas, I mean, that's got to feel really cool. That's the more positive way to, to make the point that that I'm trying to make, which is um, it's been awesome to see all the, the feedback. We really appreciate it. I mean, I, I know for me, I'm someone who sort of thrives on positive reinforcement. It's great to hear that um, the uh, the stuff that we do helps people. I mean, it, it really just, it makes me want to dig in more and, and, and encourages me and, and, and all of those things and gets me really thinking about the next ways that we can continue to find positive um, information to, to, to give people it's been awesome. I mean, it's it's one of the really fun things about this job. I mean, obviously there are people who probably didn't have as much success and maybe I'm not hearing from them as much. And so you're maybe just like when you have a, a decent sized audience, you're just you're, you're lucky to, to hear uh, the people that are excited more at this time of year than the people that are disappointed. But um, certainly seems like an outsized uh, element of uh, in terms of the, the subscribers at, at at stealing signals at the Substack, the listeners to bananas, obviously the road of his subscribers. Um, we're hearing a lot of really positive notes on Twitter in DMS and in email and on my discord. Um, the, the discord stuff was fun. Cause uh, I met, as I mentioned to you, so many seem to get it. And and so that's the, the, the other part of it. We're like, I don't want to keep having the, the base level discussions about zero RB. It's, you know, we're talking about anti-fragile drafting. We've talked about the different ways that you can, take detours, but what the goals are of it. And so many are talking about how this is their first time really buying into these ideas of anti-fragility and, and structuring their team certain ways and how, how much success they found doing it and how they want to keep exploring that. And so wanting to keep pushing that forward and how can we keep building on these things? So the thing that I loved, and I, we talked about on the Monday show, I loved about your guys' best ball team was how it, it like you look at it from from a base level and it, it wasn't anything really necessarily close to a zero rb team for people who have these really strict definitions but when i'm looking at it and knowing how you draft and how you talk and the best ball workshop and all these things that you've done and how you're applying different concepts i can see exactly what you're doing from the from the the base of the anti-fragile draft structure and the the lessons and then where you're making adjustments to maximize the potential of that team in that draft uh you know based on what you're what you're looking at at each pick and all those things that's where we want to get people to it's so fun to see all those notes and to, to hear all these positive responses that are mentioning the lessons you know the the, the overall lessons in terms of um uh, anti-fragility and and, and the, the small miss big win type picks that we want to be seeking out and and basically at every round and, and how structure overall um plays in 
and your your whole roster has so much upside when those things start to hit. I mean, just a a fantastic year. Um, I think for those types of philosophies, it ended in a way where all of the the really key pieces that you needed to have fit into those concepts, even if they weren't necessarily, I mean, I know for me, players that I, like, I wasn't as on Andrews. I don't know. I always focus on the negative, but I was, I was very much on chase. I wrote a, a whole post when, when the chase ADP shift started changing about how absurd preseason drops were in terms of lowering the, the, the draft slot for a guy like Jamar Chase, who was inevitably going to get chance after chance after chance after being a top five pick. And he did have some drops issues during the season. We saw that crop up and then it still didn't matter. You know, it didn't matter early in the year. It didn't matter late in the year. It mattered a little bit in the middle, but he was a huge piece of what won people fantasy titles because that was a silly um, thing for the market to be reacting to in the first place. But at, at any rate, it was a, it was a fantastic year. And then the feedback that we got from, for people about what helped them win and what they're learning and all that stuff is just so exciting. Uh, and yeah, I mean, just going forward, looking back, going forward, you know, the, you said there's some ways that things could have played out that would have been worse for zero RB. There's some ways that could have played out. I, I said ways that there things could have played out that could have made it even more clear that zero RB would have just been absolutely dominant. I, I just, when, when I'm saying that, I think that it's unquestioned at this point that zero B can work or whatever. It's like, we didn't need this year. It was always, you know, it was always um, something we discussed that there could be a season where there wasn't really a true legendary running back season, but it really just is silly to do the outcome-based discussions after a year like this is sort of my point. And so at any rate, not, not, not going to worry about those too much. Well, one of the things too, I think Ben, it's kind of interesting is that, you know, we had 2015 that was very zero RB oriented. We had 2016 that was a massive bounce back the other way. and was really just as fluky in the opposite direction as 2015 was, then we had this stretch of seasons that you might consider to be more normal. And there were a lot of things that worked, but one of the things, 2017 was still one that was a little bit more running back favorable. If you look at some of the actual results and you look at team builds as opposed to individual players, 2018, 2019, very favorable for zero RB type of drafting. And then this season, again, just you look at the results from the late running backs and it's just so crazy. It, one of the things that we talk about a lot is that another season like 2015 was coming 2021 in many ways that season another season like 2016 is coming at some point too right and so anybody who thinks that all the running backs are going to get hurt every year that's not the case i mean there are going to be some seasons where you have unusually good health for the top backs but you know if you're overreacting in terms of how you play to what happened in the last season and miss the important lessons about building and being very successful in all seasons and then utterly dominant when things go your way. If you're overreacting, you're actually building the opposite thing, right? To where you're always chasing. You never have a build that is going to work across different environments. And then when you have the season that would have worked for maybe what your overall philosophy is because you didn't stick to that philosophy, you don't dominate in that season either. And so that's one of the things in terms of looking back at the most recent season that we want to be careful about. It's not that we don't want to always be getting better or to figure out like legitimate mistakes that we make. You know, if, if you have a gap in your understanding of a particular area or you have a failure in terms of evaluating a certain type of player, you want to fix those kinds of things. You don't want to look at yourself and say, oh, I was just unlucky or that was just this season. It's not gonna be true in the future. You have to fix those things 
but it has to be something where you're legitimately fixing them, not just bouncing from element to element and chasing a very specific kind of scenario that happened in the previous season. Probably my favorite thing podcasting with you is when I, I, I like to just think out loud. I know our listeners know that I've, I've heard that feedback. I'm just sort of like monologuing and, and categorizing thoughts as I go. And I will say a whole bunch of things that are not the right way to say it. And then, and then you can always just like say it so eloquently. <laughs> that That's so well put this, this year was the year as it played out that we talked about, it was still possible to have another year like 2015. And we hadn't seen it from 2016 to 2020, at least in terms of no, the, the running back upside that we talked about in the, the first half of the, of this show, um, the 25 point, you know, PPR seasons, we hadn't seen it since 2015, but that didn't mean it wasn't possible. And we basically saw it this year. Yeah. To your point though, that doesn't mean that, you know, next year will be the same. The main point is again, as always, don't don't be too certain about anything, right? Don't assume that the trends are, are going to continue in the NFL and that the NFL is chaos. This is what we always talk about. You have to understand that there's a, a, a range of viable options in terms of the way things that can happen. And we want to put ourselves in the position that gives us the best opportunity to succeed uh, or, or essentially to find the options that um, – the market is devaluing as possible that we think are more possible than the market. And so we're, we're increasing our, our possibilities of success by playing into the things that are not a part of, you know, the group think or whatever, like what has to happen or what will happen in a certain year. And sometimes those things that what has to happen or what will happen, they do happen. I mean, this is true in any kind of probability based, you know, thought process If something 60, 40 to happen. And you're like, well, I'm getting great, a great price on the 40% outcome. I'm getting, five to one odds on that it's still 60 percent of the time that you're going to be wrong there's still a favorite element that you're betting against basically this year did what play out in a very i think low probability outcome in terms of a lot of the things that happened they were i mean every year has elements to it that were low probability things but this year was very wild season uh one of one of the craziest seasons i can ever remember playing fantasy in terms of not just the running back stuff, but the wide receiver stuff and every other position. Um, a lot of it kind of came together in the playoffs in a certain way, but very weird season throughout. It doesn't mean anything from this season has to repeat basically. Right. Um, and, and so there's so much that can happen. And it, like you said, though, I think one of the most important things, one of the things I'm most interested in for the off season is what, how's the market going to react? Because there's going to be ways that things are going to be forgotten about that are possible. And we're going to be looking for those things that we think are being forgotten about in the market as possible and give us good prices basically to continue to build smart structures and strategies around some of the base concepts that are always going to be applicable. Um, so anyway, this is uh, super fun. One of the other things, though, that I wanted to, to talk about, we, we mentioned on the last show, I know we're, we're getting a little late in the show already here, but we talked a little bit very briefly about this idea, something else that's going to be a takeaway for me whenever I do write up a, a 2021 season recap, that idea of like clusters of team positional strength and how in projections, we can't project the ceiling for a lot of these teams. Um, it's something that we're going to probably talk a lot about over the next couple of months um, and probably want to do a lot more research on, but I mentioned like Cooper cup, you know, distancing from Robert Woods, even before Woods injury, even Debo distancing from Ayuk, even though he was a lot cheaper, they weren't necessarily as clustered. 
Chase and Higgins both having their moments from a Bengals team that was very clustered. We mentioned Lamb, like the Cowboys one was another one. Um, things didn't pan out there where there was a clear player who who had the uh, the asymmetrical upside. But just that idea that there is usually the small miss, big win, you know, cheat code when you have these clusters. And this was a season that really emphasized that. It's one of the, my big takeaways from, from 2021 that I want people to, to think back on who are maybe still you know, thinking about this asymmetrical upside idea and some of these concepts about how we talked a lot in the offseason, Sean, about player talent versus projections. And, you know, that manifests in different ways. And Taylor was an example of one where we had to project some for Heinz, but you talked about how really a lot of a lot higher percent probability, probably than the market recognized that there was a lot higher per, uh, percent probability that Taylor would just sideline Heinz. And that's what we saw happen. But yeah, just this idea of player talent, these these especially these clusters of teams or these teams that have these clusters of of positions, especially wide receiver. Now that we're seeing teams that have three good wide receivers, the Bucks come to mind as well. They were all going in the top ten rounds. Uh, Antonio Brown, cut, you know, sneaking up higher and higher throughout draft season, and Godwin and Evans were already going very high. You know, we're targeting good offenses as a as a community, as a market, targeting good offenses, targeting good quarterbacks. But still, there is upside beyond where a lot of those prices are. Typically, we're not seeing any of those types of guys be drafted in the first or second round that are in these offenses that are really, really clustered, with the exception of maybe like Kansas City, where you had both Tyreek and, and Kelsey going in the top couple rounds. But we had seen that before. We'd seen them basically be the main two guys. Some of these other offenses where we hadn't seen one guy necessarily break out yet, we're going to have those opportunities in the future as well. And it was interesting, I think, to note, and it'll be interesting to look into kind of which offenses still blew up and, and gave a lot of value and which were a little bit disappointing. And it didn't always track with price, where the Cowboys, for me, were probably one of the more disappointing teams, even though their overall talent in reality, in reality football, was still so great. And with Dalton Schultz being thrown in there and really emerging as a tight end force, Obviously, they were able to score plenty of points most of the time, and then they sort of birthed this crazy, you know, rampaging defense that made it so, as an overall team, the Cowboys are quite good, even with some of the disappointing losses that they did have. I mean, you look at them getting hammered by the Denver Broncos, for example. There were some mystifying games in there, but the price on Lamb, Cooper, and Gallup, if anything, all of those guys disappoint. You look at the prices on Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Judas and the Schuster, and for Claypool especially to not benefit more from the Smith Schuster injury, even though they have very different roles, a team is going to call plays in a way to get the ball to the receivers. You're going to have a different approach, you know, if you're thinking in terms of okay, the target share is going to shift from this style of player to this style of player. You know, we don't, there's not a lot of overlap maybe in the routes that those guys were running, but to not have Smith Schuster pulling volume away and for Claypool to still fail, that was perhaps surprising, but then it became even clearer as things went along that Ben Roethlisberger was not one of those quarterbacks that you wanted to have any part of or any exposure to. Deontay Johnson performing well. Meanwhile, you get prices that at the time looked, I mean, they were both at the same time very big discounts. I mean, Godwin and Evans going at big discounts to recent seasons that they had had, and yet still 
prices that were that were tricky, that were difficult. When you have Antonio Brown in there as well, you look at the prices for the Bengals receivers, and I mean, Higgins probably a little bit of a toss-up. Chase obviously playing out very well. Tyler Boyd not as much. Those kind of four situations, I think, and the different ways that they played out, one of the big stories of the 2021 season. And as you mentioned, we'll have more on that as we get more into the details later on in the year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm looking at the leaderboard. I'm also thinking of like the Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen stuff. And, and one of the ways that I try to talk about this this offseason that gets brought up in draft season that would be kind of a last note that I'd want to add to this discussion is this concept of who the number one wide receiver is. It gets thrown around so much in these discussions. Is Chase going to really be the number one? Is Higgins going to really be the number one? The way that I try to view this is not at all like that. I try to look at each player independently. What is his profile? What is his you know ceiling outcome? What is his floor outcome? Um, like for a guy like Chase, the ceiling was that he was as good as he was immediately because from a prospect perspective, there was a lot of reason to believe that he could be just an absolutely elite player right away. And same with Higgins. And so we don't need to necessarily think about the, the team level stuff and who he's competing with for targets and all that stuff, because if they are that good, things are going to go positively. And what ended up happening in the playoffs with Cincinnati was their pass rate finally did explode. And when it did, both of these guys had these just absolutely monster indiv individual games. And that's also just somewhat like sequencing. Like they both had one game where they were massive. Uh, and Chase obviously was even – his was just ridiculous. It could have been, though, I would say, um, from an outcome perspective, it could have been where they were a little more balanced across the two games and both of them had two really strong games. I mean, there's you know there's different ways things can play out. But more to the point is like the team – went towards that right because they had these great players they went to a really heavy pass rate in a way that both those guys had enough opportunity regardless of who's better um for for a stretch you know certainly before this past week i think higgins looked like he was really taking over early in the year it looked like chase had really buried higgins at the end of the day we look at both of them independently and we say this guy had a really great season for these reasons and just that idea of like who is the number one you know that was the thing with evans and godwin and that was the thing with uh, I, I brought up Jefferson Thielen, but a lot of the, the, the other teams where it's more applicable, even it's not a question of who the number one is necessarily. It's looking at their independent profiles. That was a big reason I was so excited about Lamb was that, you know, this idea that if one of them really separated is probably Lamb in, in his early career, really just blowing up and being something that, you know, for several years, we hadn't necessarily yet seen from, from Amari Cooper. I know there were people that suggested that Cooper, maybe still had some untapped upside. Maybe that was fair too, but you look at him independently. You look at each of them independently. Um, that was the the point I made on couple out. It was, it was not a guy that I was on a ton in my drafts, but it was cool to um, get tagged on something this week as well. That said that the, the reason they took up was based on an argument that I made that if one of them were to separate, um, it was actually went back to a Twitter thread and I could see my own comments. It was asking about which receivers to target the three, four turn. Obviously I mentioned DJ more heavily, um, but the, the commenter actually mentioned more and some other players and then said, anyone else you're looking at there. And the one guy I added was, I also really like Cooper cup there. Um, which was for this reason that if one of the guys separated from the Rams, it seemed like it would be cup because of the targets per outrun numbers, because of his routes, not always being as high. If his routes did excel, like he seemed like the guy that could maximize his routes and have this true ceiling. Uh, I didn't see the same type of ceiling for Woods, who had already sort of maximized his routes over several years and didn't have really the elite 
per route stuff that there, there just didn't seem to be as much uh, upside ceiling and all of that in there in the offseason. At any rate, the, the main point I'm trying to make is it's not a discussion about who's the number one, who's better than who or any of that. And I, and, you know, I'm kind of framing it that way when I say that I, I prefer cup, but it's more looking at their profiles independently and saying, you know, yeah, there probably is untapped upside in Cooper cup, even though at that point in his career, we had not seen it. And it, it is, you know, he's in his late twenties. Um, it, this argument's more applicable to the lamb Cooper discussion where it didn't matter who, you know, what the number one was or whatever. It's just looking at lamb independently as a second year receiver that we would want to be on. And, and anyway, those, those types of thought processes for me have been really helpful in this idea of not getting too bogged down on who the teammates are and what the team situation might be like, because we don't know how things are going to play out during the season, but, but trying to focus on the independent player, what his situation is, is he in a good offense? Is he tied to a situation where he could potentially hit a huge ceiling and thinking about that way has really helped me crystallize this other idea of where some of these guys are just way, way too cheap just because they, you know, there's concern about their teammates basically being good also. And that's not, that's just a secondary discussion. And I'll just conclude with a side note. That's kind of out of nowhere, but I did just make a mildly negative comment about Tyler Boyd. I did want to finish by saying he averaged 17.2 points per game during the fantasy playoffs. So we did not sell Tyler <laughs> Boyd off of our dynasty teams. We will be interesting to see if he averages 17 points per game over the 2022 season. Obviously, that would be an enthusiastic outcome for him. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Stealing Bananas. As always, it's a blast to catch up with Ben and, and kind of decompress from the fantasy season. Our coupon code at Rotoviz, I believe this week is still RV Radio 2021 in part because the 2021 season, uh, it just keeps going and going, Ben. It, if I'm correct, there's going to be a week 18 of games that is also somewhat important for reality playoff positioning. But as we eagerly await those games, I'm Sean Siegel with me as always is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretchen. Subscribe to Ceiling Signals. I know after listening to some of the things that he talked about on today's show and we'll be talking about in his newsletter, you'll want to subscribe to that. You can subscribe to Rotoviz. We have a great time with you guys. If you can, leave us a rating and review. We always appreciate all of those. Subscribe to the feed. We had a bonus show this week. We'll have some of those in the future, which you won't want to miss. Uh, until next time, and good luck to everybody as they root for their favorite home teams to make the playoffs this week. We'll talk to you guys soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.